Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. morning, church. I'm Abin Bola, and I'll be reading um, the Bible reading for today. So I'm going to be reading from James 3, 1 to 18. So that's James 3, 1 to 18. And once I conclude, I would say, this is the word of the Lord, and you would respond by saying, thanks be to God. So that's James 3, 1 to 18. Not many of you should become teachers my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal around. Our take our, our um, take ships. So if we take ships for an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire a word of evil amongst parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it's itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, so the birds, the reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with the same tongue, we curse human beings who, have made, who are made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding amongst you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambitions in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and it's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'd find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Thanks be to the word of the Lord. 
Thank you, Bimbo. Good morning, everyone. Um, sorry, my voice is a bit hoarse this morning. Um, I think it may have something to do with yesterday's match. I, I don't know. <laughs> Seeing Moses falling, falling several times. And someone was saying that he has fallen more times than the rain has fallen this year. Um, let's keep hope alive. Our God is a miracle working God. <clears throat> So good morning again, everyone, um, and a special greetings to our visitors. If you are with us for the first time, we thank you for coming, and we hope to see you again. So what we've been doing is um, a series in the book of James, um, which we've called Gospel Community. So two weeks ago, um, with Religious Community, where Pastor Femi showed us in James chapter 1, that true religion comes with deeds. You can't just profess that you are a Christian and not have accompanying deeds to show that. And then last week, we also considered um, James 2 um, under the topic impartial community, where we saw that um, favoritism in the gospel community inverts the gospel. And so a true gospel community is one where people are not treated on the basis of what they have, but on the basis of who they are in Christ. And this morning, we'll be looking at James 3, verses 1 to 18, under the topic a peacemaking community. Let's pray. Lord, our prayer is the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait on the Lord. My soul waits. I hope in his word more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. So now, Lord, we ask that may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my God and Redeemer. Amen. So I just remembered I didn't put on my timer. <laughs> all right, so peace is one of those words that everybody has a definition of. Everybody thinks they know what, know what peace is. Um, if you ask different people, you get different opinions. Um, so one of the biggest artists of all time, possibly the greatest ever, John Lennon, formerly of the Beatles, um, left the Beatles and then started a band with his wife, Yoko Ono. Um, and they called the band the Plastic Ono Band. Um, so this was in the 60s, in the 1960s, it was a riotous period, civil rights movement in the US. Um, you had the Vietnam War going on. You had um, colonialism in certain parts of Africa and Asia. And you also had segregation in the West, in, in, in the US, in the southern states in the US. So it was, it was a pretty, pretty rough period. Um, so there was a lot of anti-war sentiment, sentiments in the US and people really didn't want the war and all that. So John Lennon and his wife came up with a very brilliant idea of protesting the war. And so the idea they came up with was called a bed-in. Now, the idea of a bed-in is that you stay in bed. And so John Lennon and his wife decided that they were going to have a bed-in, and they will call the press to basically cover the bed in. Um, so these bed ins were usually, I think they had about two famous ones, but these bed ins were usually about a week long and then they would record songs and just stay in bed 
talking about the war. Um, so they recorded, during one of these virgins, they recorded one of the very famous songs in the world now. Um, it's called Give Peace a Chance in 1969. And the song goes something like this, verse 1. I'm sure we all know it. By the time I sing the chorus, we'll know it. So the first verse goes something like this. Everybody's talking about baggism, shaggism, dragism, madism, thisism, thatism, ism, ism, ism. And then the chorus goes, all we are saying, give peace a chance. So we know the song. Right. And that song was a big hit. Every time people want to protest nowadays, um, strikes, everything. All we are saying, give us. Exactly. <laughs> OK, so some people are actually protesting here. OK, but here's the point. That song, that, song, that song is really one of the famous songs ever, ever sung. Um, but here's the newsflash. The war didn't end when they sang that song. Wars haven't ended in the world. In fact, now, nobody even knows whether the war in Syria or the war in Yemen is worse. Both of them are, are, are calamities, um, massive humanitarian disasters. And then in Nigeria, we have we are battling with um, in the north, and in the middle belt, we are battling with um, militant herdsmen. Everywhere there seems to be unrest. Our homes aren't necessarily more peaceful, and neither are our churches. What is peace? What does a true gospel community that is peacemaking look like? And we'll consider this under two headings. Um, two headings, yes. <laughs> One, a divisive community is foolish. And two, a wise community is peacemaking. Let's take the first one. A divisive community is foolish. Now, you've probably heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Is something used to defend themselves. But James disagrees. James disagrees because it shows us that one of the most foolproof ways of knowing who a person is is actually in how they use their words. So this theme of divisiveness that James, James talks about is not clearly, is not immediately seen when you read verse um, chapter three. Um, it's better seen as we'll see next week in chapter 4, verses 1 to 2, where James talks about the fact that people are divided because they are struggling and quarreling for things they don't have. But if you pay closer attention to the passage, you see that the way James talks about the use of the tongue in chapter 3 shows a community where people are using the tongue in different ways for their own ends. And then in verse 13, he, shows, he introduces the concept of wisdom to show what true wisdom is like contrasting it with what he talks about in verses 1 to 12, which shows us that that community is a foolish community, is a divisive community. By the time we get to verse 16, in fact, we also see that he introduces the concept of disorder. So we then see that, ah, okay, so this is actually a very divisive community, and a divisive community is foolish. But then we see this in three ways. This divisiveness that leads to folly, we see this in three ways. We see it... Um, 
in the community that does not recognize the influence of words in verses 1 to 2. He does not um, recognize the impact of words in verses 3 to 6. And then again, it is inconsistent in his use of words in verses 7 to 12. So we take the first one. He does not recognize the influence of words in verses 1 to 2. James begins by highlighting the ambitious nature of certain people in this congregation. So he begins by saying, not many of you should be teachers, which obviously leads to the fact that a lot of people in that community were trying to be teachers. And it's important that we, we pause with James here to consider what he's saying here. Because on the one hand, the Bible encourages us, right, to want to use our gifts. So you, you, you hear Paul say, anybody who desires the office of a bishop, which is really a pastor, it desires a noble thing. But then you also find here James saying, guys, I agree you are gifted, but mellow down. Don't, don't hurry. Don't grasp for this thing. Why? Because in verse 2, he tells us that life in the flesh is essentially a life of tripping. So the picture we find in verse 2 where he says, we all stumble in many ways. The idea of someone who is walking, and then maybe there's a stone or a stick on his path, and the person just stumbles. And James says, yes, I agree. We all stumble in many ways. I agree. All of us stumble. But then he introduces something that shows that it's as though he's making a special case for tripping or stumbling with our words. So he says in verse 2b, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. The point James is making is that all of us stumble, but those stand to declare the word of God must be exemplars in this regard, in the way they use their tongue, in the ways they, way they use their speech, not just to speak anyhow or to say anything. In other words, James is saying that gifting does not equal validation. Gifting does not equal validation. The fact that somebody is articulate with words, the fact that somebody can hold the attention of a room for 45 minutes, one hour, two hours, and the person is dishing out deep things, does not mean that God or the community has validated that person. And this is especially important because the way God has designed the ministry of teaching in the local church is that his word will take prominence. And those who declare that word will have a certain measure of influence. And so, the most exemplars in the way they use their words. Notice again that James ties control of the tongue to control of the body. You've probably heard many, um, some of these as goes sayings. So here's something like, as goes January, so goes the rest of the year. As goes SMEs, so goes the economy. As goes Lagos, so goes Nigeria. We like to hear that. <laughs> James says, as goes your tongue, so goes your life. If this sounds familiar, it's because, like Pastor Femi showed us, James was, a, James was just rehashing what Jesus Christ said. 
So in Matthew 12, 34, in Luke 6, 45, we, we, we've heard um, this probably famous um, saying, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I like the way the NIV puts it. It says, the heart speaks what the mouth is full of. The way God designed... Sorry, what did I say? <laughs> the heart speaks what the mouth is full of. That's what I meant to say. Yes, yes, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> Idea is need. All right, so James shows us that the way someone uses their words or uses their mouth reflects what is in their heart. Isn't that what we find in our churches nowadays? People feel that because they know certain truths, they've shared with one or two people, they've seen results that they are now called. Or we have people who are able to speak and encourage us and exhort us and then we call them Daddy Jew, Mommy Jew. Or every other person who has a gifting in the church believes that suddenly they are now called to start. You might say, oh, well, those are those churches. We don't do that here. But even here. So every now and then, we hear Pastor Dami, Pastor Emmanuel. <laughs> now I know sometimes it's a joke. But sometimes it is a reflection of the fact that we think gifting equals validation. The fact that someone can speak well does not mean they have been validated. The fact that someone is gifted does not mean that. My wife is, one of the things I like about my wife is that she's very unimpressed with me. Um, so she takes it upon herself to always remind me of the things that I say in pulpits. Um, so we had this issue some weeks, uh, some months back, where someone who was working with us, um, the person had to leave. And so the question came up, should we pay the person a certain amount or not? And I said, no, we're not going to pay the person this amount and everything. Um, and she said, ah, Emmanuel, you've forgotten that you're the one that preached the sermon in December <laughs> on just wages. But really, I hope that we, we take that as a community, that we are holding the people who speak to us accountable. Yeah. That we're not just thinking that because this person can say A, B, C, and is so eloquent, that their life is sorted. James disagrees. We had this um, gentleman who called us in the office a few months ago now, I think about two months ago. Um, he had sent emails and then Followed up with phone calls. The guy called us Tyre. What was he saying? So he says he introduces himself. His name is Evangelist X. And then he sends his flyers, sends everything. I've been holding crusades in Abuja. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. I want to come and fellowship with you people. I see what God is doing. So he comes after several phone calls. As best as I like. Then he comes on Sunday. And then... I'll get talking, evangelist X, thank God for what he's doing through you, blah, blah, blah. How did you find us? He said, God showed us to him. Fine. Um, so, uh, so then he begins talking about he's so gifted, and so he wants to um, begin to speak in our church. 
And then it turns out that someone had spoken, someone had preached that day. I said, well, thank God for that, brother. But I know when I speak that, that God is going to, it's not by mouth. It's not by mouth. God is going to move. I talked to the brother. The brother did not listen. He went to meet, so he said, no, no, no. I want to speak with the senior pastor. So I directed him to Pastor Femi. Of course, he received a very humble reply. And so I told him, okay, brother, thank God. Thank God for you. Um, thank God for all he's doing through you. We would like, to, we would like you to come around more. Let's get to know you. Let's interact with you. He said, well, all he knows is that God has given him this ministry, and he's going to hold fast to it, and nobody's going to discourage him and everything. And that was the last we saw of him. We didn't hear from him again. What was the point? He just wanted to come here and just speak. If there's anyone here you are gifted in, in teaching, praise God for you, brother. Or maybe you start by just carrying chairs and let's, let, let, let yourself be observed. Does not equal validation. And a community that is divisive is foolish because nice the importance, the influence of words. But then James shows us again in verses 3 to 6 that a divisive community is foolish because it does not recognize the impact of words. So we see in verses 3 um, that he compares the tongue to certain things. He talks about a bit, which is like a rope that is used to control horses. He talks about a rudder. Which is like, um, which is an under-the-surface um, device that directs ships, and James compares these small things that make up a bigger part. So a bit is just a very small part of a chariot with the horses and and the people and all of that. Same thing with the rudder; it's also a very small part of a large thing. Now it seems simple, but yet it's profound, because James shows us that the influence on the tongue, sometimes they're external, like the beat that controls the horse. Sometimes they are internal and not seen, like the rudder that controls the ship. But yet they have an impact on the ship or the horse, as it were. The things that control our tongues have an impact upon our lives. How many times do we say, eh, I said this because this person said this. Or we say, I reacted this way because of what I thought you said. James says, you didn't just react. You were impacted by something. If you follow CNN, almost every summer you hear about the California wildfires. Almost every summer. I don't know. I don't know why. And when you ask what starts it, they just say, ah, it's... It was just a small fire, just a small spark. The leaves were dry, everywhere was dry, and there was a small spark. And then they had to send helicopters with thousands of liters of water to put the fire out. Why? That fire had, so, uh, had an enormous impact that it destroyed a lot of things. Or here in Nigeria, every now and then we hear about houses burning, or you are driving on the express and you see people, um, you see the, the, the uh, bushes being burned because of a small spark. James says that our tongue is like a small spark that sets things on fire. True story. When I was younger, um, about 
six or seven. I went to spend a weekend with my cousin. And so this was back in the day when there was no um, inverters and there was, there was always like three or four days of queuing for petrol before you got it. So we didn't have light. So we were using candles that night. And she was reading. And she had her hair um, loosened. So here she was on the table, candle, and then she was like that. My grandma was in that room. My grandma has a bad leg. She's always had a bad leg for as long as I can remember. But that night, that leg started walking. <laughs> when everybody saw the way her hair was on fire, everybody ran like, man, it's not just the hair that is going to burn. This girl is going to burn as well. But here's one thing nobody said that night. Eh, it was just, just a little fire to go out. Nobody said that. Why? Because we all recognize the impact that fire has to destroy something. James says, we use our tongue can be likened to the impact that fire has on something. Verse 6, it says, the tongue corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And you might hear that. Uh, Emmanuel, you just quoted Matthew 34 to us, Matthew 6, 45. That is actually what is in the heart that corrupts the mouth, not the mouth, not the mouth that corrupts life. And I hear you. But then you must remember that, again, the way James writes, um, we see that he often always uses the inverse of something to imply what he means. So we saw again a few weeks ago, like Pastor Femi showed us um, actually last week, that when James says we are justified by works, he doesn't mean that works, that the works we do save us. He means that uh, our salvation is evidenced by our good works. And so in the same way, when James says that our mouth um, corrupts our life, he's showing that what is in our hearts actually comes out to corrupt our mouth and corrupt the entirety of our lives. In simple terms, James is saying that what you eat doesn't stay inside. It comes out to eat you. What you eat comes out to eat you. A divisive community is one that does not recognize the impact of words. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, I don't talk to people that much. I don't say a lot of bad things. I try to control my tongue. I try to, you know, say the right things here and there. But you must realize that because of technology, most of our words now, they're where? On our phones. We send WhatsApp messages, Twitter, Instagram, Slack. What in God's name is Slack? And all these other things that, all these other social media apps that people have. Our words have left justice and have now become also the things that we type with our hands. So I like to think there are two types of social media users. They are the truth tellers and the polite people. Now, the truth tellers are the savage Twitter users. They are the people who are very bold for the truth. Now, you might meet these people. They, are, they may be passive aggressive, so when you see them, um, um, visually, they might not, they don't, they don't like to, you know, they don't like wahala, they don't like this. But when they are behind the phone, it's just as if their life comes on fire and they can type away anything they want. So because of Twitter and the democratization of, um, of, of free speech, people just say anything they want. You jump on Twitter to diss Buhari, 
We jump on Twitter, this team Amanda, or whatever the trending topic is, this useless government, these useless senators, these useless celebrities, they'll go and get pregnant, and they'll come and be showing us. These people that have lack of decency, all Nigerian pastors love money. All Fulani people are killers. This uneducated IGP, these bad people of the North, in your mind, you are telling the truth. You are happy to be savage. You are bold for the truth. You like throwing shades. Guess what? James says that you are foolish because you do not recognize the impact of words. Or they are the polite users like, like, like me, who almost always err on the side of flattery. So you get online, say something like, Jonathan is the best president Nigeria has ever had. Or XXX pastor is the best pastor ever. Or you come up to meet Pastor Femi after service, and you say, like, Ijewu people are the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> and you don't mean it. That is, James says, foolish people do not recognize the impact of words. You see, the problem with truth tellers is that they care more about their truth than the truth. They care more about offloading what's on their chest than how people feel. Now, James is not suggesting that we cannot critique people or praise people. But he's saying that a community that does not recognize the impact of words will be divisive. Now, he shows us again in verse 6 that this kind of tongue that is used in this way is set on fire by hell. Now, again, we have to understand the way James writes. This does not necessarily mean, right, that um, this tongue will be destroyed in hellfire. Of course, it, it, does, it does mean that if someone continues going on this kind of path of life, the person is not saved, the person is not a Christian, ultimately the person is going to um, end up in, in, under God's judgment in hell. And if you are a non-Christian here this morning, we love you, we are happy you are here, but we love you enough to tell you the truth, that God has sent his son to reconcile you to himself, and constantly turning away from that places you under God's judgment. And if you die in that state, you are headed for hell. We love you enough to tell you the truth. But this is not just what James means here. He means that when he says that this tongue is set on fire by hell, he means that the propelling force, the motivating force for this kind of usage of tongue is actually satanic. It has nothing to do with Christ. And if you are someone like this that uses your tongue in this way, guess what? This is motivated by Satan and not God. But then again, he shows us the third thing, that a divisive community is foolish because it uses its words inconsistently. So remember again, we're talking about the divisive community that is foolish. And we say it is divisive and foolish. One, because it does not recognize the influence of words. Two, it does not recognize the impact of words. And now third, it uses its words inconsistently. Now, don't we all know Sister Angel? Who is angelic during worship time? always singing praises to God. But after church, she's more like Satan's angels than God's angels. 
or Brother Joyful, who is always joyful, cracking jokes, laughing at everybody's expense. But when he's not around, we're happy and joyful that he's not around. Or Brother Hope, who everybody is hoping that he doesn't come for GC because this person is always trying to put down the GC leader and voice their own arguments on everyone. Now we may be laughing or smiling. May be laughing because everybody else is laughing or not laughing. Or you may be laughing because you are trying to protect yourself and you realize that you are the guilty person. You see, we like to hide behind these objections of, but that's just who I am. This is, this is, this is how I am. This is how we do it in my family. This is, this is how our culture is. Oh, you don't have a sense of humor. I was just joking, all of that. But James disagrees. He disagrees for two reasons. Let's look at verse 9, the first reason. With the tongue we have, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. The first reason James disagrees is because we have a speaking God. James says our words matter because we are made in the likeness of God. To wield our words in our community in a way that hurts people insults God. Now, if you look at the Bible, one of the first things you find out in Genesis chapter 1 is that God speaks. God says, let there be light. God says, let this happen. God says, let that happen. And all of those things happen. In fact, words are so important to God that when John talks about Jesus Christ, what does he say? He says, the word became flesh. And ultimately, to show that words matter to God, God allowed the Bible to be written down and compiled with words so that we can read. And so anytime we use our words in a way that is not in consonance with the gospel, we show that we do not know God. But the second reason James shows us, which also flows from the first, is that our speech shows our source. So we see in verses 10 to 12, it says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James is telling us that we cannot say we're a gospel community and be unaffected by the gospel. The reason why God saves us is not so that we can remain, this is how I am, or this is how we do it in our culture. It is so that the gospel comes in contact with us and changes everything about us and redirects the course of our life and our speech. There is nothing like a Christian who does not change. You cannot be a Christian and keep using curse words. You cannot be a Christian and keep putting down your wife with her words. You cannot be a Christian and keep insulting your husband. Or parents, we cannot be Christians and keep insulting our children. And now this is a very, you know, proper middle class almost audience. And so we don't use words like olori buruku, all of those kinds of things that people find on the streets. 
But when we use our words in a way that does not shape the life of the child positively, we are using it in a way that does not glorify God in the gospel. When our children say, sticks and stones may break my bones, guess what? Their bones are already broken with the words that you use. You might say, oh, well, Emmanuel, lighten up. Come on, this is the 21st century. Even Paul used a curse word or an expression in Galatians chapter 5, where he says this person who is denying the gospel should go and be emasculated. Lighten up, we can use curse words. But here's the point. I agree. When last... Paul uses that expression because he was vexed about the advance of the gospel. When last did they use curse words or swear words, advance the gospel? When last was he concerned with the advance of the gospel? A divisive community is foolish because it uses words inconsistently. There is nothing like a Christian who does not change. And so we've seen the divisive community that is foolish because it does not recognize the influence of words, it does not recognize the impact of words, and it uses its words inconsistently. But thank God, James does not just leave us there. He shows us that a wise community is peacemaking. And so we go to our second point. A wise community is peacemaking. How is a wise community peacemaking? We see in verses, we see three things. He shows this in, in three ways. Verses 13 to 16 show us that a wise community is peacemaking because it is forgetful. It is self-forgetful. Um, verse 17 shows that, that a wise community is peacemaking because it is resourced. And thirdly, verse 18 shows us that a wise community is peacemaking because it is rewarded. And so let's take the first one, self-forgetful, verses 13 to 16. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in our hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Again, it doesn't immediately appear that James has in mind words here because he uses the word deeds. And then we may think that he's talking about action and not necessarily what you do. But then again, like Pastor Femi showed us in the first series in James 1.27, that there is no true religion that does not manifest itself in how we use our words. And so James here is talking about, when, he uses, when he's talking about deeds, it also includes our use of the tongue. And so in contrast to the divisive community we've seen in verses 1 to 12, we also see that a truly wise community anchored on the gospel is peacemaking because it is a humble community. It does not think about itself. Now, our world defines humility in different ways, right? Um, if you're a Yoruba person, humility is when you're always doing like this, bending and all that. Or if you're someone who comes from my kind of background, humility is when you're always using sa, ma, auntie, auntie, 
anti-fei, anti-this, anti-that for every person, right? And then you get smug and happy, you know, that, thank God, I am not like Dami and all these other sports, <laughs> city church kids, who call adults by their names. But see, the problem is that this definition of humility is not anchored on the gospel. It has nothing to do with what true humility is. Because we all know, like they say in Yoruba, um, in, 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 our parents tell us, that the fact that you are doing like this does not mean that you are bowing. You may be bowing outside, but standing up inside, right? That's what they say. And so the point James makes is that you are not truly humble until you are self-forgetful. I like the way C.S. Lewis, a Christian writer from last generation, puts it. Let me just read to us. He says, to even get near humility, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to a man in a desert. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you felt a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. What is true humility? True humility is not thinking less about yourself. It is thinking about yourself less. A peacemaking community is a humble community because people are constantly thinking about other people. How can I serve this person? How can I use my words in a way that builds up this person? In fact, James makes the audacious claim in verse 16 that disorder and every evil, think about that, Disorder and every evil practice happens in our communities because we are always fixated on ourselves. Think about the last quarrel you had with someone. Think about the last disagreement you had with someone. A truly wise community is a peacemaking community where our words are not said for our own advancement, but for the advancement of others. It will be a community where People use their words wisely. We think about our words. We are not just truth tellers who care more about the truth than people, or flatterers who care more about people than the truth, but a gospel community where people care about people because of the truth. Amen. That is what a real gospel community is like. It will be a gospel community where people think about their GC contributions. Not how to put this other person down and how to sound really intelligent with all the things you've read and dubbed from ESV Study Bible. <laughs> it will be a community where even when we want to rebuke someone, we think carefully about it. It will be a community where we don't wield our words like warriors wield swords to cut down, to kill, and to harm. But it will be a community where we handle our words like a surgeon handles a scalpel. It may cut, but it's ultimately to heal. That is what a truly gospel community is like. It is a community where people are self-forgetful. 
But it's also a community that is resourced, verse 17. Let's look at it together. It says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Worldly wisdom tells us that to conquer, you must divide. Scatter the place. Speak in such a way that your words cause division so nobody is in cohesion, nobody is together, and you can do what you want to do, you can advance. But James tells us that it is foolish because it is divisive. It is even more evident because in verse 17, James shows us the true fruit of wisdom is pure. Again, James does not leave us with our own definitions of purity. Uh, purity is this, purity is that. But if you look closely, again, into verse 17, you see that true wisdom is pure because it is peace-loving. It is considerate. It is submissive. It is full of mercy and good fruits. It is impartial and sincere. Now, a community that is anchored on the gospel looks at this and says, there is a problem. Because James has already told us in verses 8 and 9 that no human being can tame the tongue. So James is not talking here about something that we strive up and con contrive of our own imaginations. James actually tells us that there is another source that provides this wisdom. If you look at the first part of verse 17, it says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. James uses a device. Uh, sorry, um, I, did I did a little bit of literature in high school, or secondary school, rather. Um, and one of these devices is called, what the device James employs here is called a metonymy. And a metonymy is just where you use a word or an attribute that relates to something to describe what you are talking about. So when we say in our common everyday language that Aso Rock is in disarray, Everybody knows that we are not actually talking about the rock. We are talking about the presidency. The presidency is in disarray. So when James says here that true wisdom comes from heaven, he's not talking the way Nigerians talk, like, I'm, I'm expecting help from above. What is above? <laughs> above might be your uncle who is the SSA uh, in the civil service, the governor, or something. James here is talking about the source or the resources God provides to us in the gospel. By tapping into the deep treasure troves of the gospel, we are able to only access these resources that God provides for us. And so we get power that does, does, that does not just make us advance by our own selfish aims and whims, but enables us to advance because we have tapped another source and power from God. Our love is going to be a love that is evident in our words, evident in the way we use our speech, evident in the way that we talk to others because we are resourced from God in the gospel. But finally, James shows us that this wise community is a peacemaking community because it is rewarded. Verse 18, it says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, James shows us first their identity. Peacemakers. Peacemakers by default. 
a truly gospel community is a, is a community where the gospel has so deeply worked itself into the community that it flows out of the community. These people recognize that they are peacemakers because God in Christ was the ultimate peacemaker who left his throne in heaven to reconcile a lost and rebellious world to himself. This gospel community recognizes that they are peacemakers because, not because people in our community are always worthy of it or they always deserve it, but because God has made us peacemakers. I love Colossians 1, 19 to 20 because it so beautifully tells us that for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on heaven or things on earth, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 tells us again that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. This is not an identity that does nothing. This is an identity that leans heavily on what God has done in Christ on the cross. You know, every now and then you hear about someone who talks about, oh, I'm Igbo, or I'm... And they cannot speak their native language, and they hate their native dish. But yet in their mind, they still think that I'm actually authentically from this tribe. James says that a peacemaking community is one that is active. It sows. A real farmer is not one who thinks about sowing. He does not just lie in his bed and think about how he's going to sow crops. He's one who gets up and actually goes to sow. And sometimes the sowing is difficult. It is hard. It, it does not make sense. The weather is against him. The sun is out. He's hot and he's sweaty. But because he's looking forward to the reward of reaping a harvest, he sows. James says that when we realize our identity as peacemakers because of what God has done for us in Christ, we don't think about how unworthy people are. We don't think about how this person needs a little piece of my mind. But you don't give a little piece. You give the entirety of your mind to the person. No, we don't think like that. We actually go out of our way and sow in peace. Because we know that there is a reward. There is a reward. But what is this reward? James tells us that they reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, depending on which translation you read, it could be translated as they reap a harvest of righteousness or they sow a harvest of righteousness. And the question comes up, which is it? But actually, it's both. Because when... James had, already, James had already showed us that this, this, this wisdom is pure. It comes from heaven. When the gospel marinates itself so deeply in our hearts and in our lives, it, there is no choice but coming out of a reaping of righteousness. But I think more immediately, James says and shows us that a wise peacemaking community is a, that is affected by the gospel will reap a reward of righteousness. Why? Because he remembers what Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, 8 to 9 tells us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called. 
or children of God. Notice the order. God makes them pure in heart. They work out their identity as people who are pure in heart. And then they are peacemakers who are called children of God. This does not necessarily mean that the reward is going to heaven. Because there's that as well. There's a reward for us in going to heaven and being with Christ. But it means that by deliberately sowing in righteousness and doing these things, even when we don't feel like it, talking in a way that builds one another up, God will enable there to be a multiplicity of actions in our community that have that cause a harvest of righteousness. We will become a community where people are increasingly building one another up, not using their words to tear each other down. We become a community that is motivated by what God has done for us in Christ, reconciling himself, reconciling us to himself, and then reconciling each other to each other. We're a community of peacemakers because God is the ultimate peacemaker who left his throne to reconcile us to himself. Remember where we started? Everybody is talking about bagism, shagism, tradism, thisism, thatism, ism, ism, ism. All we are saying, give peace a chance. And we are going to see this peace only when we are a wise community of peacemakers that recognizes that we must be self-forgetful, we must be resourced, and we will be rewarded. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.